0: Joining in and listening. I'm hoping that this is an hour out of your day that you can enjoy free form conversation between two lighting professionals. I am very excited today. I am reaching out to somebody who I have been following his work for quite a while and I've never had the spare time to reach out. So I hope that you guys are all as interested to talk today to a very fine professional. His name is Joshua Flytel. He is the founder and lead creative at Dub Pixel Inc. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with me today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. So, the, those of you who can't see where Josh is broadcasting from, he is in what looks like a madman's creative laboratory right now. He has, it looks like Bill Nye's office exploded and Josh is calling from there. And it, it looks like you've got more than enough things to keep you very busy during this extended pause?
1: Oh, plenty, and then some. Spend a lot of time in my life working on my own personal work when I'm not out in the field. And that's basically what's left at this point is my personal work. Uh, Weird blinkies, stuff that clicks, stuff that's electromechanical and fun. I can't stress that part enough, fun. Uh, Not that the work that I do for a living isn't fun, but uh, everything that I make here kind of has a sense of humor or whimsy or like non-purpose or, you know, being inherently broken as part of its function. Something like that. Like, uh, you know, buttons that count how many times you've pushed them but don't <laughs> show you the counter, or 3D-printed pieces of poop, or, I don't know, uh, just uh, uh, buttons that drop things from the sky, or a smashing machine, all, all those sorts of things encompass what I do here in my spare time.
0: There is something that is just at our at our core about pushing a button that makes something else happen and the farther away that something else happens the more gratifying that button push is it sounds like you're fully embracing our our core need to push buttons
1: right i mean who doesn't like to push like a good solid button like i don't know if how many people here listen to or have seen the show double dare i kind of grew up around that being on the (laughs) early era of Nickelodeon. And there was this really big, like badass, whoever did the production design, like picked a really rockin' red button, have a lot of feels for that red button on Double Dare that you would ring to tag in. Uh, In fact, there's even a big red button that I've made kind of as an ode to the red button on Double Dare. Because, I mean, even for everyday life, just turn on a light in your house or mute the television. God knows what. It's just Sometimes it's really satisfying to have a nice, big, clunky red button you can just slam on. I mean, any lighting programmer who's listening to us right now, I'm sure, can talk about at great length the feeling of buttons they like and buttons they don't like.
0: Oh, the feeling of a big button that makes slime fall from the ceiling. I would imagine that was Mark Summers' favorite moment from those things. Is just every time you got to watch somebody get slimed by the big button on Double Dare.
1: Right. The bigger the action, the more fun to push the button. <laughs> big explosions, giant <laughs> halos or salvos of slime and... Things like that, yeah, I mean, come on, right, real visceral, right
0: absolutely, so when it comes to spending creative time alone what do you uh, what do you have cooking up these days what do you what do you uh, what are you building in the madman's warehouse?
1: I mean, a lot of the last year or two has been spent learning how to 3D print things. Um, I know we spend a lot of time in three d world modeling things for different reasons. But bringing that object out into the real world and the processes in and of itself, just to get from your model to physical object, it's a lot more than I thought, for sure, going into it. Uh, you know, lots of complexities of temperature, you know, resins, plastics, processes, it's, it's a lot. But um, that's been a really fun rabbit hole because we spend so much of our time like, creating something that's digital, it stays digital, goes to an LED wall, it goes to a projector, You know, it goes to a client as a rendering on a PDF or on your website. But this is fun. You can, like, take it. And then when it's done, it shows up in your hand. The first time I saw something 3D printed, I, like, literally felt like I was watching Star Trek Replicator. Wow. I couldn't take my eyes off the printing process. I was, like, fully fascinated. You know, the whole, like, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic vibe. Like, in full effect, the first time I saw a 3D printer.
0: Yeah, there's something about artwork that you can touch and feel and has structure I'm, I'm a huge fan of what we do because it's so clean and when uh, you're just you know changing the color of photons for a, a slight amount of time and it's very clean but the actual tangibility of of a structure must be very rewarding
1: surprisingly i mean i've never been like a big sculptor in the clay sense or wood carver or anything like that. And um, I mean, most of my academic education college is all digital, really. And you think about it like that. I um, have a little bit of hand drafting here and there, but yeah, uh, especially coming from someone who likes soldering and assembling things and working with their hands, having something that was tangible, but made digitally. Uh, yes. Very surprisingly rewarding. I wasn't expecting it the first time I made something and I was like, Oh, I'm going uh, <laughs> to keep going on this. And um, I know sometimes it's making an enclosure for something else. And sometimes it's just making something silly for whatever reason.
0: Yeah. There's something about seeing all those ones and zeros actually formulate into something that exists in the real world. Watching some of your videos on uh, Vimeo and stuff, it must be very similar feeling where you've had uh, something creative in your brain and then you have to get it out digitally into the real world to create something that you can actually touch and feel. I would imagine you're uh, really exploring that process.
1: It's been a lifetime. <laughs> I've always been, <laughs> <laughs> It's. I don't know, I've always been making or creating something. Um, I often thought maybe I would be at, you know, some, some traditional job role, like a uh, computer programmer in an an office cubicle or something like that but the 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 drive to to create whether it's physically or digitally has always been there honestly i think that a lot of what i've made on my own time comes i wouldn't say naturally but it just sort of comes out whatever bubbles up it gets created it gets made it gets you know looked into validated nothing is invalid nothing that that comes to my mind is like oh i shouldn't do that or like that's stupid or this or try try to stay away from that and just sort of let your mind wander let yourself play it definitely is a starting point for a lot of the stuff i find it harder to to capture the things once they're created actually more than even creating them in the first place Just, interesting know, so, much, so much of what we showed to people now is about the process going into or that final photo or a video or some sort of wrap-up summary i oftentimes will create things and then weeks down down the road go back and look at it and be like oh man i should have totally taken pictures as we were putting that together or this or that or because as I'm making these things, I'm not necessarily thinking about the, the outcome, just that what I'm doing is cool and it's fun and I'm enjoying it and it, it seems to be working and I just sort of just roll with it. And there's not often times to think like, let me set up the GoPro and hit record or like, let me take a million photos of this as I'm gluing this thing together in a very natural way.
0: Oh, it's so hard in the process to decide if other people are going to be interested in the process, especially when you don't know how it's going to turn out. I've always I've always thought about when I watch people's YouTube videos about their creative processes, when did they decide that this is going to be something interesting that other people want to watch?
1: That's a it's a huge question, you know, when thinking about like, well, how did these folks come up with this YouTube character or this YouTube persona that they're creating work under or create these through lines of episodes? Um, which came first, chicken or the egg. Interesting idea or need to create an episode. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's hard in retrospect to kind of harness the energy that happens in this room and at this desk and because I'm not thinking of it from like, how can I produce this thing? I'm just sort of like opening up all the paints and paintbrushes and chucking them on the floor and going like, huzzah, let's do a thing. Like, what can we make today? Um, Some of my favorite pieces of art that are on my website that I've created is literally out of stuff that I've had in the studio for 10 years, maybe something I bought at an electronic shop in college, or I bought a knob when I was in Akihabara and, and it spoke to me and I was like, I got to do a thing that does a thing with this. Like it's, 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 it's so visceral. I can't capture it always. It's a big, like I said before, it's a big frustration in, making the work work comes it goes you work with it you pick it up you put it down you like it finish it you don't finish it you know because there's no client yelling at you it's just all about you so you you make it you know when it's done you show it to people but how do you how do you get it out of this cave how do you get it on the web or how do you make it so it's accessible to other people so they get it too um i don't know i'm not really that i don't come at it from that angle so it's hard for me to say
0: it sounds like you come out from a very personal point of view where it's like, I don't care if anybody else cares about this. I'm going to do it for myself. And if people love it, awesome. If they don't, at least I got it out of my brain and into the real world.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. That's a huge part of my personal work. We spend a huge part of our time as creative uh, professionals. Uh, I wouldn't say appeasing clients, but working with collaborating with ultimately they're going to have the last word. What makes it to screen? What doesn't? What makes it to stage? What doesn't? You could think that you know your you know 128 Sharpie uh, ballyhoo moment at the top of the show is the tits, um, but you know that's not what they had in mind, so it goes out the window. This is just unedited me, um, unedited Doctor Light, uh, a <laughs> nickname that a buddy of mine in college gave to me, and it's kind of stuck. It's been something I've had to grow into. Um, I'll put on the Doctor Light hat when it's time to like get weird with microcontrollers or, you know. I don't even know anymore at this point. I, I can take up, make up so many parody ideas of myself that are all actual creative ideas, it's kind of funny. But yeah, it, it's, it's a release. It's a release from that need to always be in collaboration or in, collaboration is the wrong word because I do collaborate in my own personal work, but it's more just like, hey, I'm a transducer. Um, yeah, a part of my Ooh. creative self is gonna end up on the final product but I'm listening to, you know, the executive producer. I'm listening to the other designers in the room. I'm, I'm a programmer. I'm, I'm listening to my designer and I'm making all this stuff happen. I'm not necessarily directing the creative hundred percent of the time and I'm just being able to spill my brain out. So when I'm in my studio, when I can make things that are unfiltered, unedited, uncensored, it just sort of just comes out.
0: Do you find it more useful to be able to present your true honest artwork and then wait for somebody to like it and then they decide like hey josh has some great ideas he needs to be on this project or do you find it more appealing to kind of compromise your true self to be on a project that they think that you might be fit into
1: i think it's a and b you know to talk about your audience. Um, You know, I have definitely groups of people I have no problem being like, yo, here's this really weird idea because they've known me for 10 years and know me, you know, certain clients I've worked with. They're like, oh yeah, totally. If he's going to give us some weird stuff. That's why we have him here. (laughs) Or or he's going to come and he's going to fix all the things and and give us a totally unique solution and make all the problems go away. But like, you know, people have summoned me for different reasons. But if I'm with friends, I'm here in Bushwick, I'm here for open studios, stuff like that. I'm not going to hold back on anything that's happening it's funny you mentioned this um i think that this most recent website that i put up this most recent like offering of art something i haven't done in a long time like codified or scraped together portfolio it's more honest of my personal work than my professional probably in a long time it shows a lot more of the wacky devices than the polished shows or the international productions which honestly like i'm kind of leaning into my personal work now because those other things, those other quantifiers, uh, what do they mean in the market right now, right? I mean, what do they mean for what's happening? I would love to hop on a big show right now. It'd be great. But um, things I can do, things I can control, I can sit here in the studio and I can make weird stuff until something happens.
0: Yeah, you have unlimited amount of time right now or at least an unknown amount of time to just kind of focus on your own projects without judgment, without... Anybody asking you to compromise without any qualifiers, just unbridled Josh right now, where you can kind of do whatever you want to without worrying about if somebody wants to buy it or if somebody wants to change it. It's it's all you right now. It must be liberating and scary at the same time.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the fear part isn't because I'm like, oh, I have to make something of this. It's just more like the unknown. You know, I'm totally cool whether people like it, people don't like it. You know, the portfolio was more like a, Hey, I should have done this. I should do this. There was this (laughs) weird should word. I hate shoulds, (laughs) but should kind of kicking around. I was like, you know, okay, fine. It's been a long time coming. I've got the folder full of photos. I've got other neat stuff I want to share with people. And I'd like to have a good conduit for doing it. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Maybe it'll be some live streams from the lab or other weird gadgets or tutorials or this or that. And there's a lot of different stuff I've been kicking around with different people, how to share, how to give back, give ideas, collaborate with other people in this time. But I think that it was a huge looking back of being like, wow, there is this duality between the work that I keep for myself and the work that I do for other people. And I don't necessarily know that everyone I know has that side. And I would say that anyone that doesn't have that side is maybe let yourself play a little bit, let yourself explore things that aren't your media or your job or your whatever, whatever word you want to assign to it. Right.
0: Yeah. It's tough because a lot of us require appreciation for our work to give it value. Whereas right now that just doesn't exist. You could create the most beautiful thing that you think everybody's going to like. And there's nobody there to say like, Yes, Josh, that is exactly what we were looking for. You have to rely on yourself to say, Look, no, I put all of myself into that one and I love it. Is that that tough for you to kind of pour yourself into an art project and have nowhere to show it off right now?
1: I think it depends what it was. Like if I sat down and I designed, like, you know, a giant. 3d virtual lighting rig right now, which, you know, I'm not a traditional lighting programmer. Like I'm not, that's not my bag. And I, I built this big thing and I, and I posted it and I wanted, I was doing it for the likes or doing it for <laughs> doing it for the press or the PR or whatever, you know, I might be disappointed, but that again, that's, that's not who I am. It's not something I would do. If I sat down and I made some of my own personal work, I'm already not attached to what other people are thinking about it. That's the whole point. You know, I'm, I'm doing it for me. I'm sitting over here gluing magnets to knobs and 3D printing poops and <laughs> all sorts of silly things because it's cool and I think that it's funny. It makes me laugh. It'll hopefully maybe make somebody else laugh and smile and think. And like at a baseline level, if I can do that with the things that I'm created, that's, that's a win for me. You know, I'm not trying to blow anybody's mind here, at least, you know, not outwardly, but you know, it's just, it should be fun for everybody involved. It's hard for a lot of people to separate that validation, you know, Mm -hmm. to be doing it for you because also we look to the validation to stay employed and to make sure that we get repeat calls from the client. Like we want them to like what we're making for them because that's what we're here for in that capacity. But when we're here for ourselves and we're here working on our own and we don't have that other critical voice, Man, imagine what you could do if you didn't have someone constantly being like, "Oh, that's not good enough," or "That's not right," or "That doesn't make any sense." Or sometimes those those voices and those responses are good, but like, what would happen if you just made stuff?
0: Yeah, I would imagine it would be very soothing and uh, cathartic to just do things for the sake of doing things. Like I. Had a thought in the shower this morning and then I realized I had all the utensils and all the materials and I made it. And it's awesome. I don't need anybody else to clap or or purchase it. It's just, this is the embodiment of an idea that I had and it exists in the world. And I made the world a little better because I did it.
1: Yeah, it's a sense of completion and inner validation that, you know, there's nothing comparable, to be honest. Once you can get your head around... Have that being all you need from the process. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm true to that a hundred percent of the time. And sometimes like it really sucks when you have a uh, Bushwick open studios and, you know, a thousand people come through and they look at your big led net and they're like, Oh man, trippy. Cool. And that's the extent of the feedback you get. Sometimes maybe you want something a little bit more introspective or like a little bit more dynamic, something to help you creatively slough through ideas or get somewhere or, you know, curate yourself but it's a good headspace to try to be in when you're making stuff for yourself
0: so. yeah we, I, we can we can't hide from the fact that we are looking to create emotional impact I mean, that's what we get paid to do is to create pictures that make people think i like wow that is freaking cool it's something i've never seen before uh, when i was watching some of the stuff with okay go like that is not what you think a concert looks like but it's a whole new level I mean, you really have to think like, whoa, that required so much collaboration and so much forethought. And how did they even think of that? And then how did they even implement that? And how did they tour that? Some of the things that I've seen in your work, like, just the, the amount of logistics that went into it must be rewarding when you actually get to see the, the audience applaud for it.
1: Yeah, I think that work is definitely rewarding. Um, I I oftentimes am so caught up in the getting it up, getting it down, getting it done, getting it out the door that I don't take that moment to to look at how much the audience is enjoying it. You know, as we've done some of the simpler shows with OK Go, the Performing Arts Center shows, which are more a question and answer, the band plays along at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon with families to their own music. And they got a lot of questions from like five-year-old kids being like, how do you do the video with the treadmills? And, you know, they're all just so in it and so ensconced in what both we and the band have created for them that, I don't know, man. I think I'm probably just a little jaded. I don't get why everybody cheers when they turn the house lights anymore. I mean, I know why they cheer when they turn the house lights out like but it's just like for me i'm in a completely different headspace at that moment in time and sometimes there's a disconnect and being appreciative for how you're able to change people what you're able to bring to each other it's like man now that it's not here now that we're not out there doing it it certainly does resonate a lot deeper what we were able to bring to the equation
0: do you take time during a tour or a performance to appreciate the nowness or the the fact that You're a part of such a a huge project that's coming to a culmination. Do you take time to like sit and really reflect on the process? I think that that's come more as I've gotten older.
1: Mm. Also, as I've become more directly ingrained with the creative process and entities. You know, it's different. I think I connect with OK Go. You know, there's a family aspect there with the crew and the band and, and everybody else that's coming together to make that show happen, you know, and when I, when I start to feel that, that love from all of those people, it does spill over and kind of make this moment. And, and it's not always like I consciously take that time or take that moment. It'll hit me. And I'll be like, Oh, yeah, that's right. This is special. and We got to remember that. And, you know, especially if you've been away for a while and you come back and you do a gig with the team and, and the crew and everybody, and you're like, Oh, yeah, that's right. You see some people in the crowd really enjoying it, rocking out. You're like, yeah, okay, cool. That's why we do this.
0: You have to consciously make an effort to do that now because we can get so engrossed in the actual performance and we can be so laser focused on hitting each hit here and there that we almost have to set a reminder like, hey, take a moment to just stop and realize that you're in your front of house at one of the greatest events of all times to be like, man, this is really a cool thing that I had a part producing. And like I get to collect my percentage of this emotion that's happening in this place right now. Uh, I would imagine you get to experience that sometimes where you just, whether you do it consciously or unconsciously, just like, wow, this is really cool.
1: It's definitely something that washes over me i, I kind of have this way of of thinking about what i do sometimes a bit more selflessly which may be bad idea um mm. maybe maybe not be the healthiest way of thinking about it you know okay it's a show cool we came we did the thing like we all came together we did the thing and it's 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 about them it's what's about happening on the other side of the camera on, on stage things like that but mm-hmm. you're not wrong you know we it definitely not having it every week or every two weeks or being present for those sorts of events. And it's, it makes me remember or be like, Oh wow, I missed, I miss being able to tap into that energy and feel and feel that way.
0: Do you feel that way before, during, or after the presentation more often? Do you feel like you're more in the moment before the performance during or after? Before to during. Okay. Yeah
1: like after usually it's just like okay get it back in the box get out the door let's get out of here you know because i'm video i don't want to be the last one out the door but frequently i gotta wait for my screens to come in and all that kind of stuff everyone's yelling me get on the bus um (laughs) not really but uh it it does feel like that sometimes like maybe the, the the newest department to the to the party is always the last one out but so i'm definitely before the show still even to this day nervous generally pacing stressed out, depending on what level of involvement I'm doing in the show. Okay. Programmer, I'm definitely like wringing my hands, kind of like I used to smoke cigarettes, quit smoking, I used to go out and smoke a couple cigarettes. Now, the, during the show, once you take the first couple of cues, definitely that goes away and I'm, and I'm much more at home and much more happy to be front of house or having things happen or wherever my gig is and much more appreciative, even just for the chance to be able to be working or be learning or with friends, with colleagues, uh, making a thing happen. Maybe I don't reflect like on the self enough in that moment, but there's definitely some layer of appreciation and being honored, respect for my my place and time in the universe. And also like, you know, if you wanna blow it up that big, just being grateful for being able to do any of this, you know, being able to be anywhere where I am.
0: It's really hard when it happens so gradually when you do your first, second, third, 100th gig where you don't realize how much bigger your 100th gig is than your first gig. And you really have to like stop and appreciate how far you've come sometimes because you know, when, you, when the house lights go on the, on the 20,000 person stadium or arena as opposed to the, the high school performance, they're equally magnificent, but to be able to look back and like, wow, I've come so far, and I'm so grateful that I'm still able to do this. Oddly, that still, it must be a great feeling. Nervous. Still,
1: yeah. In some ways, yeah, honestly. Um, and I don't know what that is. That's just, I guess, something that, you know, just it's literally like I don't know. It's like take the first cue, fine. It's just literally until I take the first go of the show. It's just like. Or see my five seconds of safety time code. There's always one trigger that kind of sets me out of that nervousness. Thinking here, you said high school show and the biggest show. I literally put my span my brain between those two moments. I'm like, wow, yeah, that moment before the first cue is kind of very, very similar. It's almost like taking the first cue shifts my mind laser into the present, right into where I'm at, you know, like hyper mindful exactly where i am there's no thinking about what didn't i do before the show there's no thinking about what i'm going to do after the show or what i need to do in 10 minutes or what changeover needs to happen thing like that it's here right now q1
0: if this then this must happen if if somebody says uh the first line i must be in this queue i must be prepared there's no There's no uh, reflection on the repercussions of it's not because it's going to be correct. I think that's something that we've all had to hone that skill of really blocking out any sort of external stimulus and just really be in the moment of that. What's really important, which kind of blocks out our ability to enjoy everything else all the other stuff around it you know so many people can be like oh my god oh so many things were happening like all i saw was my go at the time and it worked so thank you and you're welcome at the same time (laughs) yeah man absolutely been there absolutely do you find that because of that laser focus and our our attention to detail in those moments that we kind of lose appreciation for the bigger picture sometimes, or do you think that our focus is the the bigger picture?
1: Well, I think that the appreciation is always there. You know, it might come later. Mm-hmm. It might come as an afterthought, like after the show. You're like, man, that was rad, but at the time. All I'm thinking about is hitting those cues, what's coming next, what's coming up. If I'm lucky, OK Go has like uh, this sort of midway break. We had to build this in in 2014 to do some like live re of projectors and stuff like that, but
0: wow.
1: um, lead singer comes out into the audience and, um, and plays a, an acoustic set like while standing on the most awkward thing he can find. Oftentimes it's a Pelican sixteen hundred we've put in the crowd somewhere, or he'll find a bar or an aisle, or. But the goal is to everyone can see him, and he goes out and plays an acoustic, and that moment for sure, because like I can sit there, it's like a breather. Yes, all the appreciation, all of that comes back, but you know, right as soon as I have to be right along step with the show, it, it's you know, not that I'm appreciating it any less. It's just not on my mind. It's just about me. Buttons make the show be what it needs to be let's let's make a thing
0: right on so when you're at that level of focus do you find yourself emotionally and physically exhausted after the show like you've run a marathon
1: yeah definitely yeah um yeah i used to do one really large corporate upfront every year that always seemed very high stakes because of it's history and because of other things and the client and a lot of client review and involvement from the beginning and um man, after I walk out of that gig at like three o'clock in the afternoon and springtime in New York, I just be like, I feel like literally I'd been touring for two months and I'd maybe been out for like a week and a half. Wow. Um, Just because of, you know, this also was, I guess, years ago. And I think that maybe my headspace when going into gigs is different now. But then it was, there was a lot. Um, There was a lot of worrying about the outcome the whole time being on my toes and having to always be on it and things shifting at a dime. And, you know, corporate gigs can be a little bit like that sometimes, but
0: yeah. From anybody who's sitting on the outside, it looks like you're just sitting at a computer doing nothing, but
1: running some PowerPoint slides or
0: something, right? There's only a few people that realize how emotionally or primarily emotionally and secondary physically taxing it is to sit with high levels of focus for extended amounts of times, especially some of those, the corporate events, I mean, they go all day long and they, you got to be focused on every word, every note, every, every beat. And, uh, it, it's really a lot to take on a, on a human brain power level
1: yeah, God forbid it should be about something that you know nothing about and can't follow. <laughs> um, you know, at least some of this stuff over the years I've had to do epic. Okay, president wants to rehearse for eight hours straight. Call it mushroom mode. You know, you go sit in the dark in a ballroom for all day and they are, know, they're they're the head. So they get to practice their speech as many times as they want, do the walk up as many times as they want because they got to feel comfortable, which I, hey, having been someone who spent some time on stage, in a performance way, like, Hey, I, I, I vibe, I get nervous. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's staying present for all that and staying able to react at a moment's notice after hearing someone talk about, you know, uh, marketing strategy for the 107th time is it's, it's taxing. And I think that maybe we're not always realizing how much it is. I mean, you could say that about our job in general, we do some really crazy stuff for a paycheck
0: yeah hours yeah, time do.
1: stuff to ourselves stuff like that and um you know it's a lot to stay present for it all and stay on it for it all uh
0: what do you find most helpful in dealing with that uh, mental fatigue do you uh, do you find yourself meditating do you find yourself uh, obviously you're not smoking anymore which is great congratulations what do you do to unwind and relax still go take a break
1: still don't smoke but go take a break yeah um i i do a lot of carrot before the horse action you know most most of my colleagues know that i love to eat strange food all the better but um you know try to keep uh some extracurricular activity in mind to remind you that this isn't 100 percent of who you are or what it makes you
0: you know oh that's great
1: it's still just a gig. It may be a very important gig to you and to the client and to everybody else, but um, you know, it's work. We are people outside of our work. Um, you know, the the food thing is nourishing in different ways. It's something to think about and, and talk about and reflect on, but also it's food. We eat it, we need to eat it to live and, and eating things we like to eat generally makes us feel better. You know, if we like eating it. There's mm-hmm. exceptions of course, right? Things that we shouldn't eat, but... Um, <laughs> Nevertheless, it's been a lot over the years. I've also done meditation. Um, there's been some gigs where definitely I've blown off dinner and dinner became as much meditation as I could sit in my room and and do 20, 30 minutes and still still be able to get back and forth. Sometimes it's renting city bikes and riding around whatever city you're in. Uh, I was doing a great gig with a, a buddy of mine uh, in Minneapolis. And they they had sort of adapted this I don't know, this, this trend or this, this process. And before I thought that was a great idea. Go rent a city bike or a, a rental bike for 20 minutes, pedal around, do something. That's not what your gig is for that duration of time.
0: Right on. Are you finding your meditations to be more helpful? Uh, what, I was imagining you're doing just quiet meditation. Are you doing guided? What do you, what do you suggest? Some
1: and some. Um, well, I think that back when I was using meditation as a, as a mid-gig thing, I was just doing silent breathing, just really focusing on my breath and sitting in a like quiet space. Now in the mornings, I'll do some guided meditation to try to, you know, focus my mind before the day. You know, just keep yourself present. Um, quiet the static is the way I like to think about it. you know quiet, Maybe it's static. dialing quieting the static quieting the you know the the chaos around you and 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 kind of keeping your brain focused a little bit more a little bit more laser focus um you know we might have that to-do list we have that list of shoulds we also Mm -hmm. have a list of coulds and want tos too which we should probably try to listen to as well but um you know i think that if we can Yeah. If we can focus our brain around that list, not that it's the ultimate thing that we need to do or focus it in that direction and shut out all the other, like, Oh, I should be doing this. I need to do this. You know, you can acknowledge that and say, okay, yeah, cool, cool. Okay. Get in line with everybody else. And so some of that, that morning mindful meditation, Is about like oh thing pops up okay cool nope cool you're just gonna go off to the side for a minute I'm just gonna put you off to the side and go on the list and we'll we'll talk about you later whether it's updating my show file or you know uh, checking an email from a client or maybe it's just picking up the fish from market for today you know whatever that is
0: there's so much to be said for just turning your brain off from that laser focus because when you are laser focused you can miss so many other alternative routes to the end result. Uh, I would imagine you and I are very similar in the fact that a smoke break used to be that moment for me where I would walk out to the loading dock and just, whether somebody was with me or not, just trying to attack a problem from a different angle for just five minutes. But I'm in the same boat. I don't smoke anymore. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take 15 whether it be a full sit-down meditation with your eyes shut and uh, and in a position or if it's just standing somewhere that's not at the console or the computer far away from where you were for extended periods of time
1: oh 100 percent. you got to do that um i anyone who's worked with me especially in my mid to late 20s know that like I need to be constantly reminded to walk away and eat something especially if we're not in a union house and we're doing real meal breaks because I'll just do 8-10 hours no problem oh wait I should have eaten I'm I can't do that anymore now into my mid 30s so it's just like it's it's corrected itself (laughs) Man, I don't know I love to eat and like what am I doing all those years not going to eat but you know it's it's gosh like I just get so caught up in the outcome of the gig or getting it done or getting it finished or appeasing the client that like, oh man, like I gotta worry about myself and put myself yeah. first.
0: When you're doing that, do you ever find that you have to seek external assistance to help yourself? Are you are you uh are you willing to talk about being able to go to a therapist and stuff yeah, like that?
1: Ac- absolutely. Um I see a therapist when, you know, tour, Routing, gig routing, scheduling, all that allows. And even then, some I'll, I'll, I'll do over the phone or Zoom sessions when it's able. Um, super important once a week, twice a month if you can. Yep. Even Come just on. having the number of somebody that you can call when you need to, even if you don't make it a regular purpose or practice. Um, you know, friends are great friends can be accountable make you accountable help you to do things help you here help you there or hold space for you sometimes but you know partners same thing but sometimes you need a real professional to go and talk to because you can't be asking people in your life to constantly hold space for you like that or mm-hmm. constantly be burdened by things you're trying to sort through um or and gosh you know the fact that they're professionals at this, <laughs> it sure does help
0: Yeah. I love going to my, my wife, Sharon. She's great. She always has some great insights, but sometimes, and she'll, she'll, she'll be upset at me for saying this, but it's like, sometimes the problem is originating from our interactions. And so I need somebody else outside of her to go talk to. And the same is true for my clients and my friends. Sometimes our interactions are the problem. So I need to go talk to somebody else with a a even further outside perspective to say like, what, what's going on here? Am I I the one who's being short-sighted? Are they the one that are being, causing the problem? What's, what's happening here? And I, I don't know if that was ever talked about when you and I were younger. I, I know that my parents never, uh, encouraged us to go seek, uh, mental assistance in any way are you are you well, in the same boat
1: i'm i'm really lucky actually both of my parents are artists uh my dad veteran of the industry um you know like he you know we're talking mid to late 60s rock and roll uh dude you know nice so his 20s 20s was so he's 1950 right okay so um My mom is a dancer, a dance professor. She's now retired. Dad's retired, too. Um, But uh, both of them, you know, from an early age, thought it would be good for me to see a uh, social worker therapist talk about stuff. We've always been big talkers in the family. Um, You know, so I, I didn't really come from a family that was, you know, it's, they, they didn't make it seem like there was anything wrong to be going to see somebody to talk to. My dad saw someone, my mom saw someone, they saw some together. Um, you know, I think that my choice to go back to seek therapy was more just like my own journey and making the time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a huge problem with balance. I can pretty much guarantee that everyone I know in this industry has some issue with the industry and balance, I would be very surprised to hear not. Um, -hmm. I think that part of it was like, how do I make time for this and everything else that I'm doing? You know, how do I even just carve the time out from my now seven day a week schedule at the empire state building to go and see someone at the time? You know, I, I was just being like, well, how do I even, I just really hadn't even been practiced in the art of saying no to clients. You know, and so out of that ability to carve the time out for myself, and then learning with my therapist to kind of separate some of the stuff, my life and my work a bit more. Which, I mean, as you can see, it's pretty intertwined. I work in this space, and <laughs> I don't know the making and, and the working. It's all it's all the same to me. So, um,
0: so you never really had to fight against a, a negative stigma of going to see a therapist. It was I always mean, encouraged.
1: Not in my. You know, familial range, but you look okay. at everyone else, you know. Uh, I don't think that any kids, but I was growing up with knew that I went to therapy, but gosh, I would have gotten teased for that just as much as for taking right. lessons, you know. And, uh, you know, it, at the time, gosh, that was like the worst thing ever. You know, you look back at it now and you're like, eh, no big deal. Yeah. But but at the time, yes, yeah, it, it, it definitely was a thing. So I think that that probably would have started at an early age. But honestly, I have no idea what kids are growing up with in terms of what they're being taught or what they're being told is okay or not okay. But damn, I think that the damage has already been done to a lot of folks that are already our age and already in the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that you know, if you see a therapist, you're crazy or you're, something's wrong with you um you know you're not fit for human consumption i've heard all sorts of different responses or you know i i have friends who who would love to be able to see somebody or that their partner would but they just feel so weird about it and um like they wouldn't know where to start Mm -hmm. i was lucky and i had done a led project for a psychiatrist (laughs) uh, doing uh, brainwave entrainment and i was like hey can you recommend me somebody? I really would like to start to talk to somebody again. So it turns out that they actually had experience in the uh, performing arts as a director of experimental theater and an actor and sort of understood at least at a baseline, the insanity that we do to ourselves and, you know, the expectation and, you know, a lot of the, you know, working for credit or exposure concepts or any of that kind of like weird exploitation that somehow our industry allows us to harbor. Like, yeah, come work at this internship for less than what anyone would make because you value the experience and it's what you're supposed to abuse yourself doing for three years after you graduate
0: college. This is a great description.
1: Like I'm serious. I didn't go that path. I got a real job, but it's out there. And if you, you know, you, you want to do that, you can, but, why is anyone's time any, why should the people have to starve or be borderline on employment just because they need to make an experience in the industry? Anyways, that's a, that's a much deeper conversation <laughs> for another time. But I think that what I'm getting at here is
0: that. you Kind of to sum it up, it kind of sounds like you're, you're acknowledging that what we do is kind of insane.
1: It, it is. It is. And, and we have some really strong preconceived notions about what we need to do and what was expected of us. And, 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 you know, gosh, I remember my dad dropping me off at college and saying to me, Hey man, you know, if, if, if you, if you want to work, come back, you know, don't, don't necessarily spend all this time in college, but you know, you, you got to work and you got to not say no. When you get out of here, you got to not say no. You know, people call you for work. You got to not say no. You got to take work. You got to work and yep. got to work until people stop calling. And maybe when you're 50, you can start saying no. Yep. I've taken a little bit of a different approach as I've gotten older and I sort of had to shield myself from things. But that's just the tip of it, you know? Um,
0: yes. I would imagine that we are not unique in the fact that when we're in it, when we're doing our job, it seems like the most important thing in the world. And it's not until we step out of it and go like, oh my God, it's really not that important. I can't believe I let my stress levels get that high over hitting that that slide when he says that one certain medical jargon term that I've never heard in my life. It's really important for us to be able to seek outside assistance to kind of put it all back into perspective and say, look, what you do it's your livelihood but it's also not that important it's you're just making lights blink when they're supposed to blink and not blink when they're not supposed to blink and changing colors you know you have to really be outside yourself to look back and go like man that what a great job i have and i can't believe i get paid for that
1: but it's also not worth sacrificing yourself
0: oh like and i don't mean
1: like we'll say self with the capital f Yeah, the the self. Um, you know, I I can't believe I allowed myself to miss this life event, or to not do this thing for myself, or to not eat properly, get mental health, take enough time off, make art for myself, to do all these other things that because I thought that the gig was more important. And you know what, man? Like, it's it's that breaking point. That decision is different from anybody else, but you can't make it at the deficit of like shooting yourself in the foot i think is my way my dad would like to put it you know
0: yeah it's uh it used to be i don't i would say i was at the tail end of the generation it was definitely the generation before you and i that wore that as a badge on their sleeve the the do you know how little sleep i've had do you know what i had to do to make this happen do you know that I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow to get here? And that was such a a badge, the saying, it must be worth value because look at all the suffering I had to put into it. And nowadays, we it's not it's not really a badge anymore. We're like, well, why'd you do that? Why didn't you just take the subway? It would have been so much easier than I mean, walking through the snow. I mean, sometimes
1: it's a badge. Don't get me wrong. You know, some people like it, it's definitely still a badge and, and, and like the epic nature of things comes through. I just think it's just like maybe during this pause, we can all kind of start to look back and be like, huh, maybe this isn't the greatest thing. You know, uh, it, it maybe shouldn't be a badge. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone wants to give their all and put in 100% and do the best job they can. I know I'm mm-hmm. happiest when I'm working rather than mm-hmm. sitting. But at the same time, like, I like to live life. I've gotten some tastes of it here, you know? Yeah, not just yeah. with this time off, but just as slowing down over the last couple of years and, and taking a little bit more time to, to be present for myself, not just for my gig. Yeah. It, it uh. starts to raise the question, um, what's the next metric if it's not going to be loss of sleep or broken bones or miles walk with no shoes or that kind of thing
0: right oh that's a good question i don't know what the what the next metric is like how do you measure the quality of effort i guess i would
1: love it to be like man that gig was awesome because i had a really good time and everyone was really positive and excellent to
0: one another oh like a happiness index yeah sure or a comfort uh, well-being index. Like
1: we ate really great every day on that oh. and Nobody lost uh, any hair over uh, silliness or, or stress, you know?
0: Yeah, I'm like, on board. I would love we, to see if we could put together a we well-being index.
1: On, we reflect on the negative aspects as the badges of honor, but then it's just like, oh man, like got to remember the positive things.
0: Uh, we would kind of have to defeat... Our natural intuition to go towards the negativity bias and go towards a a, a positivity bias, I'm like, hey, how was that? Uh, how was that iHeartRadio? Like, oh, the catering was great, so I would say it was a great show. You know, uh, how was that show, Josh? Well, we had six people to full f- pull feeder instead of one, so it was a great show.
1: Yeah, everyone was really happy and positive the entire time. I mean, and I honestly, I found myself coming back from jobs now being like, okay, yeah, it was a job. We did it. And there were, there were big guests and there were small guests and there were some stressful bits with guest artists and, and, and this person and that person. But in the end, like, we had a really good time and it was really great to see everybody. And uh, we ate some really good food. We told some good stories. And, <laughs> you know, that was, that was the vibe. Um, man, I love working, but I, it's, it doesn't always have to be painful.
0: How was that show? Well, nine out of 10 people on the production team were my friends. So I would give it a nine out of, I would give it a, 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 an A minus. It was a great show. Or uh, zero people threw their radios. So it was a great show.
1: I learned a lot. So it was a great
0: show. Ooh, the Learn Index.
1: You know, and that can come in many forms. It can come in the form of you learning stuff. It can also you know, be like, oh, I, I slammed my fingers in the case. Maybe I should have shut the lid before, <laughs> you know, that kind of <laughs> learning.
0: <laughs> Those are very important lessons to learn. We hope that people learn that on the first one, but we rarely do. It usually takes us three or four finger slams to to learn that one. I've got two eight-year-old kids and they still they still have to learn that lesson the hard way every, what seems like once a week to stop slamming their fingers in something. That's great. I would love to be able to quantify shows based on something other than the amount of suffering that went into it. Uh, If there was like a creativity index, like, man, that show was so freaking creative.
1: And I think we do. You know, I think we talk about things wistfully in the same way like oh man that was a great year Mm -hmm. so many good people on that gig or like wasn't the concept really neat like yeah that gives us fucking 38 projectors but damn damn if it wasn't cool right um Mm -hmm. but that's just also I think it just it's speaking towards a larger thing of like okay I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this well why do we often look back at the hellish aspects of jobs why do we frame up that why does everything have to be stressful hellish um why does why is there this sort of backbreaking, arduous sort of vine in a lot of the stuff And, and and why do i when i go to talk to people in other industries what do you mean you worked 18 hours yesterday yeah yeah it's what we had to do it was like it was the gig the gig was 18 hours so we worked the 18 hours it's, it's simple mm-hmm. enough to me. It's simple enough to you, but not anyone else who doesn't work in an industry. And I don't know. I mean, we'll never be able to avoid things like that. We're never going to make this like as, uh, as tied up with a pretty bow as some people maybe want it to be, but just even starting to acknowledge the,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the positive things and how to make things be more positive, be seem more positive, uh, approach things from the best possible parts of every situation. Um, any of that you know
0: yeah i think that it's i agree that we will never be able to change our industry to a nine to five sort of thing but at the same time i feel like with amount with a proper amount of creativity and forethought i don't think we have to be doing the the 40 hour work days anymore and we can, I, I want that to be seen as not a success. I don't, I, I will never say that the, those, those long work days are a failure, but at the same time, I, I, I would, I wish there was a way that those weren't built in.
1: Yeah. Right. Part of the expected norm. I think that's more what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. How do we realize that some of the expected norm in terms of hours, availability to client all that kind of stuff just you know it it may be required but it's not healthy and just acknowledging that getting everybody to be like hey if we're going to do this we need to to suit up right um you know you wouldn't go into to to strip asbestos out of a ceiling without an abatement suit you know you shouldn't necessarily be working in our end of the industry without (laughs) seeing a therapist
0: (laughs) yeah yeah uh, I, I'm really happy seeing a lot of the, the foundations these days and the organizations doing their very best to provide uh, access to mental help. Uh, some of the like behind the scenes, and uh, some of the ones that I've I've been talking to a lot of people that are really active and trying to let people know that there are resources available, which is it's good to see that that's not a stigma anymore and that it's that people are starting to realize that hey some of these people are going through things that they don't need to go through we should be providing some assistance are, are you starting to see a similar trend are you starting to see people at least talking about uh, getting help
1: i definitely know that during this period, several of my friends have asked me about it or about what my scenario is like. Wow. So I think now that people are slowing down and they have the the time to think about it, they're starting to explore it. They're starting to be willing to carve that time out. I mean, the time's kind of been carved out for them, but um, they're more willing to explore it. Uh, I don't I guess I'm not dialed in at that level to know what those groups and those organizations are, but I have my own community of artists and folks here and I've been kind of just been able to give good advice and send people looking in the right direction to go see people to talk to. Um, And even just explaining to people the process of like, Hey, you don't have to like go see the first therapist you find. And there's a difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist. And you know, there's different kinds of therapy and different schools of thought. And, just even being able to break that down for a friend is is huge for me, and um, you know I'm happy to to give that information to anyone who needs it. I wish there were more ways to to disseminate that.
0: One of the topics that you just touched on that's really important is that when we're working, a lot of us have our self worth and our value tied up in the fact that we are working, and that we are contributing. We're building. We're generating, we're out of the house doing, and now a lot of us have none of those things. And so we're without building and generating and creating, we're starting to realize that we're just at home being, and we have to be able to attach a value to that. And just, hey, I woke up and I took a shower, I put on pants, I used deodorant, and I talk to my family and we have to be able to sit back and say like, no, that also has value. And I would imagine a lot of people are having to reach out to somebody else going like, can you please help me apply value to just being huge value? It's um, huge.
1: I, luckily, this was something that I already kind of started unwinding over the past couple of years in therapy.
0: That's <laughs> so pivotal.
1: when all the gigs went away, I could still kind of be myself and and put on the Dr. Light hat or, or the, the Josh Blytel <laughs> hat or whoever <laughs> hat and, and go into the studio, go into the garden, go play with the dog. And, and yeah, it hurts that I didn't get to go do Coachella this year. I was really looking forward to that. I had some really good people I was going to go work with and it was main mm-hmm. stage. Dude, rage, like 16-year-old me is like, holy crap, you know? So, I mean, that was a huge thing, but at the same time, the end of the day I'm still me I'm still here we're all still here luckily I'm really blessed my family didn't no illnesses during this period of time we're all safe and you know just having that be enough and reminding that yourself that like hey I'm still a good person doesn't matter that I didn't light anything or build anything today or you know like just because the gig took a shit on you doesn't mean you're a piece of shit
0: um you know, oh, that is that's a that's a quote right there. I'm I'm pretty
1: sure that comes from my dad. I was I was having my ass handed to me on my first Broadway show, my first Broadway out of town, and I'm like, I feel real bad, just like failure, like getting yelled at every day. And I think, you know, Dad's like, "Look, man, just because you know the gig shitting on you doesn't mean you're a piece of shit." And uh, yeah, so just because you can't validate what you're doing daily through your work doesn't mean that you're not a valid person. You don't have a
0: purpose. That is a great uh, quote to end it on. I uh, I totally went over time, and I was engrossed in that uh, in that last bit of information there. Thank you so much. I feel like we've really come a, a long way in this first hour of really chatting. Uh, I feel like we have a lot in common. I feel like we could chat a lot longer, but uh, those are some real some real profound words. I, I appreciate you taking the time to. To put those on uh on digital art form with me
1: yeah i hope any of it makes sense to anybody who's listening um but it's definitely it's it's a lot of the stuff that's been kicking around in my head during this time
0: right on thank you so much for your time josh
1: be well man thanks